We shall fight with growing confidence and growing strength in the air. We shall fight on the beaches. We shall fight on the landing grounds. We shall fight in the fields and in the streets. We shall never surrender until in God's good time, the new world with all its power and might steps forth to the rescue and the liberation of people. In times of universal deceit, truth is the only rebellion left. One last word on the Virginia election, and frankly, the elections that took place across the nation, where there was a red wave. Parents, deplorables, domestic terrorists, as you've been labeled, rising up and saying, no, we won't take this anymore. The last word that I have on this is an answer to the question, how did we get in this mess in the first place? I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is The Rebellion. Welcome to today's Rebellion. I know everybody's sick and tired probably about uh, the elections. We get so fixated on them. I do. I'm guilty of that. I'm a political junkie. On election evening, I sit there staring at my phone, my iPhone, my smartphone, every five seconds for an update. It actually makes no sense. I'm not going to learn anything five minutes after I just saw the last numbers. But I watch them. I'm addicted to it. I admit that. Especially when I see it going in my direction. I want to watch the victory. I want to watch every play, every number, every shift, every, every give and take. I want to listen to the commentaries. And if you're a conservative... If you're just a normal parent that wants to be respected and doesn't want some bureaucrat in Virginia telling you that you have no place in the classroom and doesn't want your local blue-haired 24-year-old teacher, graduate of Berkeley or Brown or any other institution in between, telling you that they'll control your children, they'll teach your kids sexual morality or the lack thereof, and that you have no say in the matter. If you're just a normal person, a person that has common sense, you know, one of those Bible-thumping, gun-toting deplorables that lives in the flyover states. If you're one of us, then you watch the election this past Tuesday night, and you smiled because you thought, maybe there's a remnant left. Maybe there's some sanity. In fact, I even mentioned in an earlier broadcast, the passage out of Genesis that I take reassurance from. It's actually not a good story. It's a very, it's a very sobering story. It's the des- destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah for their sin. But if you remember the story, the angels come, God sends his messengers. So let's just say these messengers are speaking on behalf of God, because they are. And they tell Abraham that God's going to destroy the city because of its sin. And we know that the sin of Sodom is great. There are multiple sins, but one of the very gravest sins is their sexual immorality, their sexual nihilism, their hedonism, their selfishness, their complete uh, reversal of the sexual order, homosexuality. Oh, you'll have some contemporary theologians that'll tell you that's not the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah. The sin of Sodom and Gomorrah is the lack of hospitality. They failed to care for the sojourner 
the stranger among them. That's a bunch of garbage. The history of the church. The history of the church for 2,000 years and the history of the Jewish people for a couple thousand years prior to that has accepted the fact that the story of Sodom and Gomorrah is a story of punishment for sin, multiple sins though they may be, but the sin that the story focuses on most specifically is sexual sin because the people of Sodom and Gomorrah had reversed the sexual order. Men with men and women with women, homosexuality, the denial of the biological reality of God's sexual ethic. That was the sin of Sodom. And Abraham pleaded with God and said, don't destroy them. And one of the reasons he was pleading is because his own nephew, Lot, lived in Sodom. And Abraham pleaded and said, please, if I can find 50 righteous men, surely you'll withhold your hand. And God said, sure. This is the Piper paraphrase, by the way. And then Abraham, thinking, I don't know if I can find 50, said, well, if I can find 30, surely you'll withhold your hand. And God said, yes. Well, if I can find 20, will you still withhold your hand? You're a righteous God, a God of mercy, right? And God said, yes, I'll withhold my hand for 20. Abraham narrows it down to 10. If I can just find 10 righteous men, will you withhold your hand? And God said, yes. So the encouraging part about that story, I think, is obvious. God was willing to withhold his hand of judgment on a city that was completely debauched. If there were just a 10 righteous men left in the entire city, he would withhold his hand. Well, apparently there weren't because Sodom and Gomorrah were destroyed. Terribly slow. Everybody died. So I think the moral of the story is, first of all, sin always brings a consequence. Selfishness, the reversal of God's order, the denial of the basic facts of creation, the worship of the created rather than the creator. This is the this is the consummate sin of humanity. I think it's what G.K. Chesterton was referring to when he basically told us that if you want any more proof of Christian theology, look no further than the evening news. You can see the original sin in every news story of the day, whether you read it in the newspaper or you listen to it on TV or you access your news via your laptop or your smartphone. Every news story is laden with selfishness the reversal of the created order, the elevation of self as savior, and the diminishment of God, the worship of the created rather than the creator. Again, what the Apostle Paul Rome's, excuse me, warns of in Romans chapter 1, verse 28. When you reverse that order and start worshiping yourself, the created, rather than the creator, you worship yourself rather than God, you elevate yourself to be as God, you basically are committing the exact same sin that Satan said, that Satan used, that Satan actually vocalized as he tempted Eve to eat the forbidden fruit. 
Remember, Satan said, if you eat of that fruit, God knows you will become as God. You will know. You will define. You will decide everything. You won't need God to be God any longer. You can be God. And here we are. So today's show is about this reversal and what has caused this mess that we're in right now. But lest you think it's going to be a downer, it, it isn't. Because there still are 10 good men. And I think this last election proves it. Oh, I'm not saying that everybody that voted the right way, in my opinion, is an orthodox believer. No, I'm not claiming that. What I am claiming is that there's still that grace that God has given us. And that grace is the reality of his influence in our lives. The gift of the Holy Spirit is speaking in our culture still, defining properly what's right and what's wrong, what's good and what's evil, what's just and what's unjust, what's up and what's down, what's male and what's female. And a lot of people went to the polls Tuesday and voted the right way because in their heart they proved that what the Apostle Paul says in another place in the first chapter of Romans, and that is the truth of God is written on every human heart. We know what's right. Like C.S. Lewis tells us in Mere Christianity, every child knows that it's wrong to cut in line. Every child knows that they don't want their lunch stolen by the bully. Every child will scream and cry, well, that's not fair. Why? Why? Why do human beings do that and other mammals don't? You don't hear my, my horses crying to one another that that's not fair. And likewise, the cows don't, my dogs don't, my chickens don't. If you live out in the country, you understand some of these things better than if you live in the city because you see the difference between animals and humans. And you understand that what I'm saying right now is very factual. It's very true that that truth of God written on every human heart is just a reality of the human existence, the human story, the human narrative, the narrative of history, and the narrative of even the daily news, like G.K. Chesterton said. We see evil. Oh, it's, it's there at every turn. The proof of original sin is there. We are not good. We are a broken and sinful race. But we also see the proof that we understand the difference between good and evil because even those on the political left still make an argument for justice. Well, that's not fair. Well, that's not true. That's fake news. That's a false narrative. Those are trumped up charges, to quote Barack Obama. Who cares? If everything's relative, and if it doesn't matter what you believe as long as it works for you, and if there is no truth with the capital T, Mr. Obama, who cares about whether or not it's fake? Because, Mr. Obama, your worldview, at least as you claim it, would suggest that there is no objective definition of what's fake and what's fact. It's all just a social construct, right? It's all just a product of conflict. The conflict between the bourgeoisie and the proletariat in the old Marxist model, but now, Mr. Obama, you've twisted it to a new conflict, and that is the conflict of critical race theory. 
of blacks versus whites, a conflict that's based on skin color rather than economic status. But you still aren't making the exact same argument. It's this Marxist argument of conflict. Of there is no God that gives us objective definitions of morality and justice and goodness and dignity and human identity, that it's all just a social construct. It's all just fluid. You know, you know, it's all just fluid. And you, and you wave that banner, Mr. Obama and all of his acolytes. You wave that banner while you march for tolerance and inclusion and justice and science, of course. Well, I'm ranting in a similar fashion to what I've done before. But after we take a break, I want to share with you Something that we've talked about in months gone by, I haven't mentioned it recently, but I want to remind you that I've already answered this question, how did we get in this mess? And I may, I may share with you a response, if I have time, to another college president who I think is a poster child of drinking the Kool-Aid, a Christian college president who should know better. Drinking the Kool-Aid, the poison that has led to this sick and dying culture that we all now live in, but one that still has a remnant of hope because apparently we still have 10 righteous men in Sodom. I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is The Rebellion, and I will be right back in a couple minutes. Welcome back to The Rebellion. All right, so the question is, how did we get in this mess? How do we get in this mess where parents had to finally just step forward and put their foot down and say, no, here I stand and I will do no other. I can do no other. These are my kids. They're not yours. I won't let you cut the baby in half. I won't, I won't let you cut the soul out of my son and the heart out of my daughter. I won't let you do that in your grisly experiment of social justice, political correctness, and critical race theory, and neo-Marxism and fluid identity, and all of this nonsense that our kids are being taught every day in our schools. And that is not a fake claim. I mean, they're actually trying to tell you right now that all of this hand-wringing over critical race theory is for naught because our schools don't teach critical race theory. You know that, don't you? What world do these people live in? I mean, we have documents from school after school after school that they do teach it. I mean... Conservatives didn't make this stuff up. In fact, we've been criticized for months on end for speaking out against it. So were we just boxing shadows? Flailing away in the dark at something that didn't exist? A boogeyman? A monster under the bed? No, this stuff is real. We know that. We've been debating it in public. We've been confronting their documents, their curriculum. They're hiring people at their institutions, academics at universities and at high schools to be diversity directors under the banner of critical theory. Oh, they can put a different name on it just to try to confuse you and try to dodge it. But the reality is they're teaching your kids to judge each other by the color of their skin rather than the content of their character. And that is critical theory, people. They're teaching racial conflict, class conflict. They're teaching you 
to apologize for being white. Did you make those stories up? Did I make those stories up? No. They're doing this. You've got the videos of them approaching millennial-age white women on the streets of New York and making them bow on their knees and apologize for being white. And now they have the audacity to deny that critical theory and critical race theory is being taught in your local schools. Sometimes I think they can't tell the truth to save their lives. Well, what caused this mess? I've talked about it months ago. In fact, I featured it in one of my probably probably one of my first five episodes of the rebellion. And I think this is episode number 348. I've got to go check. I may be off one number. But if you go back 340 episodes or so, one of the first things I did on the rebellion is I tried to set the context for everything. For everything that ails us and everything that's healthy. And I set that context within the parameters of what I called the lesson of four. Do you remember it? I said there are four things through which all of us view our experience, measure our experience, our human experience, our daily interaction with others, and our daily interaction with God. We all have a worldview, and every worldview has at least these four components in it. And I said, it doesn't matter whether you're a Methodist or a Muslim, whether you're a Buddhist or a Baptist, whether you're an atheist or an Anglican, it doesn't matter. Because every worldview has in common these four things. Every worldview answers four questions. And do you remember what they are? Here's the refresher class. The first one is origin of man. The second one is the nature of man. The third one is the redemption of man. And the fourth one is the responsibility of man. Every worldview answers those questions. What's your origin? What's your nature? How do you redeem it, fix the problem, and what's your responsibility after you answer those first three questions? What are you supposed to do about it? What's your action plan? I'm going to repeat that for you one more time. The origin of man. Where do you come from? The nature of man. What are you like? What is the human being? What's the definition of the human being? The redemption of man. How do you redeem the problem? If there is a problem, and there certainly seems to be one, otherwise, why do we see this mess in the Daily News? Back to G.K. Chesterton. If you want any more proof of Christian theology, then just look at the evening newspaper. It's, it's obvious that original sin is a fact. Origin of man, where'd you come from? Nature of man, what are you like? Redemption of man, how do you fix the problem? And then finally, after you've answered those questions, what's your action plan? What's your responsibility? The responsibility that you and I have as human beings. Now, liberals answer those questions. They're very passionate about those questions. Conservatives answer those questions. We should be equally passionate about it. And like I said, every religion, whether it's Christian or otherwise, answers that question. Those questions, those four questions. But here's the deal. Some of us answer them correctly. 
we get the right answers, we pass the quiz, and some of us don't. We're wrong. Because these aren't just opinions. No, you just can't make it up as you go. There's a right answer to the quiz, people. For example, origin of man. There's a big difference. There's a big difference here. If you're an atheist and you say, well, the origin of man, the origin of people, humanity, human beings, is nothing different than any other biological mass. Whether you're a dog, a pig, a cat, a cow, or whether you're an amoeba, or even a virus. All of us, whether we're human beings, or whether we're animal, or whether we're nothing but a virus, all of us basically rose out of the ooze, the primordial swamp, if you will. It's just a product of evolution, you know. And all you are is a more evolved virus. Because if you're nothing but a more evolved monkey, then you're nothing but a more evolved rat. And if you're nothing but a more evolved rat, then you're nothing but a more evolved flea on the back of the rat. And you get my point. You can just keep backing it down to the one-cell organism. It's no different morally than you are. We all came out of the same swamp. That's the atheist view. That's the Marxist view. That's Barack Obama's view. That's the view of many Democrats who mock and malign your Christianity, your religion, your Bible and your guns, your conservative views. You know, you're a science denier because you believe in God. You actually believe that there's an architect that designed the building, that there's an author that wrote the book, that there's a painter who painted the painting, that's a, there's an engineer who designed the bridge. You actually believe that all of those things well, didn't just come into existence by happenstance and chance, that there was actually an intelligence behind all of those buildings, those bridges, those paintings, those books. You, you kind of raise your eyebrow when somebody suggests that you could take a watch and smash it with a hammer a thousand times and then put the parts of that watch in a paper bag and just shake the paper bag long enough and it'll all come back together as a functioning watch. You say, hmm, how's that work? Well, if you shake it for 20 million years, it'll all come together and tick and tell you time, right? That's what they're saying. But it's even worse than that because what you did is you started with a functioning watch and you broke it apart into little tiny pieces and you're saying, if I shake it long enough, for 20, 30, 50 million years, it'll all come back together by happenstance and chance, and it will be a watch again. They're starting from nothing. They don't even smash the watch. They're saying if you shake a bag of nothing long enough, it'll turn into a watch. Figure that one out. And you're the science denier? You're the irrational one? People, where this all started was our culture started answering the basic four questions wrongly. Rather than saying that our origin is from God and that we're endowed by our creator with certain knowledge of unalienable rights and, and truths that are endowed to us by our creator, a knowledge of, of his existence and a knowledge of who we are. Rather than admitting that, we say, no, none of that's true. None of that creator stuff is true. 
we're, we're going to reverse the definition. We're going to create everything. We get the origin of man wrong. We don't admit that we're made by God, created by God, and therefore inferior to him, that we are clay in the potter's hands. We get the origin wrong, and therefore we get the nature wrong, because if we're not created by God, then there is no such thing as goodness and evil. That's all just a social construct, you know. You know, the God stuff, that's just fairy tales. That's the opiate of the masses. That's delusional thinking. That's just comfort food for those folks in the heartland that aren't very smart. So you get the origin wrong, and then you get the nature wrong. And then, well, what are you going to do about the problem? Well, obviously there's a problem. I mean, you've got racism, and you've got all of this kind of stuff going on. Even the leftists agree with that. That's why they are leftists, because they believe in justice, right? But their solution is to define justice on their terms, rather than going back to the measuring rod that was given to you at the point of creation, and that is the self-evident truths that are endowed to you by your creator. So the solution, the redemption of man is very different. Well, the solution will be just give the part, the smart people power. They'll fix the problem. They'll do it through control. They'll do it through vaccinations. They'll do it through masking. They'll do it through defunding the police. They'll do it through spending money that they don't have. They'll just print more of it. They'll do it through the Great Reset. Well, it doesn't matter. They'll fix it. They being the gods among us. Because they've answered the questions wrong. So, origin wrong, nature wrong, redemption wrong. Rather than being forgiven and redeemed by God. No, that's not your redemption. Your redemption is of yourselves. Just elect the right people. And that's where conservatives need to be careful. Our redemption is not in the Republican Party. No, that's not our redemption. Our redemption is confession. Our redemption is admitting that we're not God and asking for forgiveness for ever thinking that we were. And then what was the fourth one? The fourth one is responsibility. After you answer these questions, then you have to decide, okay, what's your action plan? What are you going to do about it? Well, the leftists believe in conflict and control. They believe in hierarchical government, top-down. Once they get power, they'll take liberty and freedom away from everybody else, and they'll, they'll just become big brother because they can do a much better job than you at raising your kids and everything else. But the Christian worldview, the biblical worldview is... No, our responsibility is to love the Lord our God with all our heart, mind, and soul, and our neighbor as ourself. Our responsibility is not to take power, but to acknowledge that God alone has it. Where did this problem all start, people? It started when we stopped answering the questions right. Tomorrow I may share with you that bit about the college president that answers all the questions wrong, and how I confronted him on it. Not enough time today. I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is The Rebellion. Thanks for listening.